Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of JM Sunday, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Matis Weingast. I'm your host. Today is the uh, 28th day in the month of February, 19th day in the month of, Risha, of Adar Rishon, 5776. It's going to be a beautiful day outside here in the north New Jersey area. 
Right now it's 36 degrees. It's going up to a high of 59 degrees and uh, and sunny, and then dipping down to 43 degrees. In Israel right now it is 67 degrees, and it's going down to 53 degrees a little bit later on. It is uh, another week gone by. Tomorrow is a leap month. Uh, it's a leap day, I guess, uh, because February is a leap month in the English calendar, and uh, that means 29 days. So the end of another month, and uh, we are here. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, I hope you had a great uh, week and a great Shabbos. We have a very busy show this morning. Uh we have three guests that are, that are scheduled. I know for sure one of them because uh, we, um, we pre-recorded this one. And uh, the first interview that we're going to hit is with Asaf Cohen. He is an actor and uh, he's been in over 60 productions. We're going to be talking to him about uh, his background and uh, how he got started in the field. And, of course, we're going to be talking about the Oscars, which are tonight. Not about who's going to win or who's going to lose, but more general uh, about what goes on to to pick the nominees and to pick the uh, the winners and the whole issue of diversity that's been very big in the news lately regarding the Oscars. So we'll be talking to him about that. Uh, I want to thank ZK for helping me out this morning. <laughs> thank you, ZK. Um much appreciated getting us on the air today. Uh, let's see. Uh, so that is going to be the first interview. Then we are going to be talking with uh, Miriam Peretz, uh, who has a book that was just translated into English uh, called Miriam's Song. It is a, a very moving book. It tells about her uh, her life in Israel and, in particular, the losses of her sons, the loss of her sons, both sons in the Israeli army at different times, and the passing of her husband. It's a very moving story, but I think what is most inspirational is how she has been through all this, and now uh, we'll talk to her later on in the show. And then at some point in between, uh, some point in between, we're going to hopefully be speaking with Assemblyman, New Jersey Assemblyman Gary Scher. And he'll be uh, filling us in on the trip to Israel that he's on now with a legislature group from New Jersey. So a lot going on there. We're going to start the interview with um, with Asaf Cohen early. We're going to split it, actually, uh, with Morning Physic because it was a, uh, a long interview. We talked a lot, and uh, we wanted to start that early. So that'll be starting in about, um, oh, about what uh five six minutes from now roughly now we're gonna we're gonna hit a Micha Gamerman song first and then we'll get to uh we'll get to that okay here is uh Haner Daluk from Micha Gamerman uh Kesher uh, Kesher Shel Kayama right that's the album yeah that's the album uh right here on JM Sunday thanks for joining us Ich bin so, lean, lean, 
My guest this morning is an actor who has over 60 credits in film, television, and theater, in addition to a number of audiobooks to which he has lent his voice, and we'll talk about those a little bit later on. Asaf Cohen, welcome to JM Sunday. Good morning, Matis. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. We have a lot to cover, and uh, this is your first time on JM Sunday. We've uh, communicated and are Facebook friends. We've communicated over the years, especially when I see you on television, and see you on maybe one of our favorite shows, uh, NCIS. We'll also uh, talk about that later as you're being thrown out of an airplane. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's very fortuitous that we're talking today, especially with the Academy Awards being presented tonight, and we'll discuss that 
a little bit later also. Uh, let's begin with a little bit of your background. Uh, I read that you were born in California, raised in California, but your family spent time in Israel somewhere in between your birth and college. How did that come about? Well, uh, my parents are both um, Israeli citizens, both born there. And uh, my father uh, was into, is in the uh, high-tech industry. And uh, he, uh, beforehand, he went to Stanford to get his, uh, his doctorate. He applied to all these Ivy League universities for doctorate programs. The first one he heard back was, uh, was from Stanford, and he asked his, his, his advisor there in Israel if this was a good school. And his advisor said, don't wait for any more, just go. It's wow. beautiful, California, prestigious school. And so we went to uh, Silicon Valley, and this was, uh, you know, a few, a few decades ago. And, uh, and that, then I was born at that point uh, in, in Palo Alto. And then once he had completed his, his studies and he did another year in postdoc in New Jersey, um, then uh, we went back to Israel. And I spent um, first through fourth grade living in Haifa. And then after that, he got a job uh, offer in, in back in Silicon Valley. And then uh, hopped back on a plane back to California, and for the most part, I've been here ever since. Uh, obviously, going back to to Israel quite a bit to visit back and forth family and friends. Sure, of course. So now I understand why, uh, when you were in college, you majored in a topic called uh, integrative biology, which <laughs> sounds very fascinating, um, and it seems to, from what I read, tie in a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, departments within. Uh, the, the field and but but that I think would take an entire other discussion. <laughs> sure, we're not going to do that. My fleeting my fleeting flirtation with uh, being a doctor instead I play them on TV. <laughs> right, right, literally, right. You can you can actually say that. Uh, so, how did the acting bug hit you, and how did you pursue it? It's a good question. You know, I came here uh, after being living in Israel for for four years. It took me a while to to uh, acclimate to Israeli culture. And then when I came back here, I had to once again acclimate. And I, so I came into a new school, didn't have any friends. I had a thick accent. I was mixing Hebrew and English freely, which seemed to confuse some people. Uh, but I didn't have a, uh, you know, my, my circle of friends was, n let's just say, not very expansive. Uh, so I auditioned for a school play, and it was Aladdin and the school, uh, it was Aladdin and the, uh, and the Wonderful Lamp. And through a series of events, I ended up getting the role of the evil magician, a lead role, and and I, I was bitten by the acting bug pretty severely. And from that point on, this was fifth grade. From that point on, I, I just never really stopped doing plays. You know, doing school plays, children's theater, and then community theater, and then a lot of summer stock, and and then eventually I uh, moved on to, to professional theater as well. Hmm. Was and there then at some point I discovered Hollywood, and I yeah. said, hey, I can actually make a living, <laughs> right. a real living doing this. Right. Oh, it, was there a point in time I mean, in the beginning where uh, one of the uh, uh, directors of the school plays or whatnot said to you, uh, you know, uh, Asaf, you have something that uh, I don't see very often, and you really should go with it. Or, or did someone turn around and say, nah, you should be a doctor? <laughs> I've heard both, uh, the latter mostly from family members, uh, <laughs> doctor or lawyer. You know, my right. father, I think to this day, still says, you know, you'd still make a really good lawyer. It's not oh, too late. Oh, man. In Hebrew, of course. Of course. You, know, you could use all these acting skills. I'm like, I'm, but I'm actually doing okay <laughs> being an actor. Uh, uh, you know, I did get an, a bunch of encouragement uh, 
from various uh, directors and professors and at schools. And uh, I had at one point I was auditioning for a professional uh, play at a regional theater in the Bay Area, and the artistic director at the callback said to me, "Asaf, what are you doing here?" And I said, uh, "At the callback." He said, "No, here. You need to get your butt over to New York wow. or even L.A., but you need to get out of here." I think what he was trying to say was that there's, there's in the in the medium and small size markets, you know, the Bay Area is kind of a medium sized market. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a glass ceiling to how far you can move in your career, as far as an actor is concerned. There's some amazing regional theater, uh, but and some commercial work as well. But as far as television, film, extremely, extremely limited for when uh, Once in a Blue Moon, a TV show, films there or or a film, it happens, but. Obviously, you have a lot more opportunities in one of the major markets, such as New York or, or L.A. Right. And uh, I imagine that you went through all the additions that everybody has to go through, and it, it took a while till you got your first... Well, I mean, it didn't take a while, but it uh, took the auditions till you till you got your first role. Do you remember your very first role on the first day you stood back and said, Wow, I, I've made it. In television? Or film, whichever, you know, professional. As you said, you went to the professional uh, uh, role. Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I did a graduate program. I got an MFA in acting in, at Rutgers in New Jersey, and I was pretty much bent on, on going to New York. And then, you know, we had showcase performances where you do these scenes for agents and managers, sometimes okay. casting personnel as well, just to see if there what kind of nibbles you can get for representation or for just to bring you in for auditions from the casting people. Right. And we had showcases in Los Angeles and New York, and I had a much, much stronger response in Los Angeles than I did in New York, uh, which was surprising to me. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, after I received a, a really good offer in, in Los Angeles from a good agent here, I, I talked to a lot of friends who were both in L.A. and uh, in New York, and they said, yeah, I'm a good agent. This is worth it. It's tough to get these. Uh, and so I, I came here and then started auditioning quite a bit, and then 9-11 happened, and all of a sudden all these uh, Middle Eastern-themed storylines started popping up in television. And, you know, my, my background was more in live theater. And so one of the, my first problems was that everything was just, I was doing everything too big. I would literally walk off out of the frame when they were filming me at auditions. I was told, that's good, just maybe don't walk off frame. Just kind of stand right. mostly still. Uh, it took a while, but my first thought, and then I, I, I got some theater down here and some, uh, some, some student films, but... My first TV booking was a, a CBS drama called The Agency, about CIA team, and uh, I remember it to this day. It was for a small role, a few lines, uh, playing a, a suspicious uh, Arab person in the back of a car, a terrorist who was planning <laughs> to do something, some bad stuff. And uh, I, I remember getting uh, just being said, yeah, the lines will be there when you get there. It's just a couple of lines. And so I get there, and there's a bunch of us sitting in the, in the, in the waiting room, and uh, and I, I hear one of the actors go in, and they give us and they give us a couple lines there on a piece of paper, and it was you know like oh look Empire State Building, you know, right. so high I can't even see the top of it, and that's pretty much <laughs> it. And I hear the actor go in, and as he before he sh- they sh- he shuts the door behind him, the casting director asks him, uh, Dan, do you do you speak fluent Arabic? And then the door shuts, and I don't hear the rest. Huh. Literally five seconds later, the door opens, and he just walks out looking very dejected. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so I kind of said, well, you know what? I don't speak fluent Arabic, uh, but I knew a little bit, and I speak fluent Hebrew, of course. Right. Uh, and so I knew a little slang, and so literally I said, you know what? I'm I'm just going to – I was inspired by something that George Clooney had once said about, you know, just 
when in doubt, just do what you need to do. Just go for it. Get the job. Yeah. Um, as long as no lives are at stake. Right. And so I, I went in, and uh, and he said, uh, Asaf, and, uh, nice to meet you. And, and do you speak Arabic? And I said, yes, yes, yes. He said, what about Farsi? I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't speak a word of Farsi, right? I know a little bit of Arabic. You know, salam alaikum, you know, stuff like that. And, and he goes, like, great. So the lines were, you know, look, it's the Empire State Building. It's so high, I can't even see the top of it. And so I think I just, I, I chose to say it in Hebrew, Ooh. but with a thick, thick Arabic accent. Uh-huh. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and I walked out of there, and he said, thank you, and I walked out of there, and they're filming it. You know, they, they right. film your auditions, and then they show them to the producers, uh-huh. and I just realized, oh my goodness, what a horrible mistake I'd made. They're going to show it to one of the producers who speaks Arabic, and they're going to say, this guy is just full of it. <laughs> right. It's just gibberish. <laughs> this guy's a liar. Uh, and, so my, and then, so later that day, my agent calls me. And he says, what the hell happened in there? I'm like, oh, no. And just my gut just sank. And he said, what did you do? And I said, okay, listen. Let me just talk. Okay, here's what happened. I, I, he said, they're really, really angry. And I said, look, I just, nah, he's like, I'm just messing with you. You booked it. Wow. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and, then, and then they put me in touch with the language consultant. And, you right. know, he, he didn't he did not care. He's the nicest guy. And he said, sure. of course, you do what you need to do. And you can always learn it. The funny thing is, and so we filmed it, they ended up not even using the lines. Oh, boy. That was a, and then I, at, at some point, I actually took two years of Arabic at, at UCLA Extension here just so that I, I just started getting more and more Arabic-speaking right. lines. And just learning it phonetically just became really difficult. And so now I'm not perfectly fluent, but enough to, to hold my own when necessary. Right, exactly. And, and from that, uh, from that humble uh, beginning in uh, language <laughs> association... You have been on. Um, you, you've had roles in American Sniper, um, Fast and Furious. I don't think you spoke uh, Arabic, if I remember, in Fast and Furious. Did you? No, no not that a regular topic. American Border Patrol agent. <laughs> right, even, that's right. Uh, um, not even, uh, not even uh, uh, an accent or even any ethnicity uh, suggested. Right, that exactly. Was, was nice now you were in Flight Plan, and uh, you had a. a major role there because uh, of what happened in the movie and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it where certainly you were portrayed as um, you know, an Arabic person or certainly a Middle Eastern person and you've had those type of roles in, uh, in other shows as well do you feel that um, I guess people talk about being typecast but you know you're, you certainly look the part but you don't always speak the part as you said uh, so is it a little bit easier now to just you know switch in between and get the different roles? It's both. You know, it really depends on the project. It depends on the people involved. Some people are open-minded. Some are not. It's funny because, mm. as you know, I'm, I'm a Jewish man of uh, uh, Israeli Jewish of mixed descent, right. of Yemenite descent. You know, the Timanim yeah. on my mom's side, and uh, you know, more Ashkenazi on my dad's side. Oh uh, well, and okay. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, what happens? You know, so I'm a mix, you know, I'm a hybrid. Right. But clearly, the dominant genes, as far as you know, what I look like, come from the Yemenite yeah, side. So right. people assume always, uh, you know, that I'm an Arab, and they see the Cohen and Asaf <laughs> is a name. You know, it's very Hebrew. Yes. But it also exists in the Arab world, and people tend to associate it more with with Arabic. But Cohen, they know, and right. so people sometimes are confused if they're not familiar with the Hebrew uh, derivation of Asaf. Uh, but sometimes it works in my favor. There are certain casting offices that will not see me for Arab roles hmm. 
because of my last name. They say, Cohen, he's Jewish. <laughs> How can I sell him as an Arab if sure. he's a Jew with his last name Cohen? Right. And then I get the exact opposite from different offices who say, uh, how in the world am I going to sell him as a Jew? Look at him. Look at him. He's right. an Arab. Come on. Come on. I know his last name is this, but look at him. There's a, Jew, there's a Jewish story. There's a storyline with the Jews and Arabs. Right. You know, just for visual reference, we need the Jewish people to be white. Never mind all the Jews, you know, come from Ethiopia or from... Yeah, exactly. The world. You know, in their minds, they still have the uh, Ashkenazi... Uh, perception. That, wow. That's what a, a Jewish person looks like. Huh. Yeah. I, I think there's a, another topic we'll have to continue on another day, uh, which is um, the perception of, of Jews in Hollywood, whether it's in oh boy. acting or media. That's a whole other discussion. But, uh, I need an hour and a half for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Asaf Cohen is my guest this morning, um, star of film and television and theater. And uh, today is... Uh, today or the Oscars tonight. Uh, the Oscars are being presented, so it's um, it's not just coincidental that you're joining me here for the first time this morning. Uh, it, it is to also talk about a very interesting topic regarding the Oscars. But by the way, when you were on a uh, a major short movie called West Bank Story, see, I looked all this up. <laughs> you played an integral part. You were Menorah Mickey. Uh, right. <laughs> right. It's a great video. I saw it uh, a little while ago. Um, now, that one won an Oscar for Best Short, I believe, that year. Am I correct? That's right. So You are correct. What happens to everyone who is in there? Do you all get uh, a, a statue? Do you all get a letter? What What happens when you win uh, an Oscar? A million dollars each. And oh, yeah. session with George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think so. I don't uh, think so. But Honestly, yeah, you just get the honor. I, I still have it on my resume, you know, Academy Award winning. I have West Bank Story, you know, Academy Award winning. But that's it, so, of sure. course. I mean, they're uh, of the of the what hundred and sixty thousand members. I don't know how many members there are in the uh, in the in the uh, in the union. I don't know. I'm just making up a number here. In SAG, in SAG Astra, there's yeah. about one hundred sixty thousand. Yeah. I don't know how many members there are. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. About you know what? Uh, not all of them. Privilege. I'll take it. Not my <laughs> first Oscar winning film. You know, absolutely. I'm also. I think it was sound editing, I think. I could be wrong. Whatever it was, but, but I'll you know. I'll take it. I'll hey, take it. Of course. So, tonight are the Oscars. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the supposed lack of diversity in the nominations for tonight's award. Uh, before we hit the topic head on, can you explain to the audience, I'm sure they're interested in, what the process is in selecting nominations and ultimately choosing the award winners? Because, as I understand, I just mentioned SAG after, which is your union, but the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences the organization that presents the Oscars, it's not a union or a, or a movie studio. What does it do and how, do this pro how does this process take place? Sure. Um, so as you said, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, it's just that. It's an academy. And membership is by invitation only. And within the entire membership, and full disclosure, I am not a member of the Academy. Uh, we'll have to. Oh, boy. Do we have not to yet. do something? Do we have to call them up and make sure you become a member? I'm working on it. That'd be great. I think you have to be invited by, you have to be uh, approved by two members, and then somebody gets to vote on it. But I'd appreciate that. If you want to start a campaign, that's great. But you know what? I, I mean, I, it's a serious topic, and I want to get right back into it. But I thought I read somewhere, because I wanted to see, you know, can I become a member, that if you win an Oscar, you get invited for the next year or so. So you won an Oscar yeah. already. Okay. I, you do. But that said, I was not the Oscar winner. The 
film itself oh, was an Oscar winner. Interesting. And there were a lot of people involved in the film. Interesting. And okay. I don't think every. We, I did not get a statue. The, the film's right. uh, you know co-writer and director or creator Ari Sandel, who is a brilliant man, and by the way, someone you should talk to at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's got a whole story about West Bank story. Uh, he got the Oscar, so we got to hold it. We get to take pictures with it. We get nice. to bow down before okay. it. You know. And uh, we're going to continue, Asaf, uh, with the interview following Morning Kazook. It's uh, February 28th here. Uh, well, February 28th. <laughs> anyway, anywhere on this side of the date line. February 28th, going into a leap year tomorrow. And uh, it is the 19th day in the month of Adarishan. Time flies a week from tomorrow. We begin the fundraising marathon over at JM and the AM. It'll start at 6 a.m. bright and early. And we encourage everybody to uh, to call and contribute to do so on the uh, web and uh, to return the pre-marathon mailing that you've received. If you haven't, then uh, listen to... You can go to jamelam.org. I think a link might be up. I'll have to check that. I'm going to check that right now. If not, starting next Monday morning, you'll be able to call in and um, and... Send in your pledge. Give us your pledge. It's not up yet. I think it'll be up either later today or tomorrow. It is the way that uh, the Chamber of the Am raises funds for the year, and uh, we are, of course, a beneficiary of that in the sense that definitely helps the network to stay on the air. So please make sure to uh, to contribute there. Uh, at this time, each and every well, I just let me let you know that we're going to continue with the uh, interview with Asaf Cohen following Rabbi Goldwasser, and then we're going to be joined, hopefully going to be joined by uh, Assemblyman Gary Sher, who's on a legislative mission to Israel right now. Uh, and then at 8.30, we're going to be joined by Miriam Peretz, author of Miriam's Song. We're going to be talking about her incredible and, and tragic story of her family, uh, but, but we'll also talk about the inspiration that, that she has and gives to others. Uh, she'll be on a book tour to the United States in March, so we're going to be talking about that. Oh, uh, back to what I was saying at this time. Each and every Sunday through Thursday, uh, we present Rabbi Goldwasser, Rabbi Goldwasser's words, Lezech Nishmas Rav Zev, Rabbi Yosef Alevi, and Esther Bas Rabbi Yosef Alevi. Here's Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. It says in the Torah, Tomim Tiyem Hashem You should be perfect with Hashem. Ramon Chalechevich says, that the truth is, one should never worry. There is only one daiga, one worry that one is allowed to have. And that is, why am I worrying? The Vilna Goyen said, Everything we do in this world, whether physical or spiritual, is like planting seeds. All we can do is plow and sow. The rain, the dew, the elements of the climate are completely up to Hashem. A person has to toil in this world but not to waste time worrying about the results. That's in the hands of Hashem. Of course, a person should daven. They should pray for blessing and success in all that we do. It says in the Pasuk in Devarim, Your life will hang in the balance. You will be frightened by night and day. You will not be sure of your livelihood. The Gemara Menachos explains this Pasuk as referring to the pain and suffering of worrying about the future. It refers to someone who doesn't own land, but buys a year's supply of grain each year. Though he has grain for this year, he worries about the next year. The second level is, you shall fear night and day. It refers to someone who buys grain every week. 
the most severe level is you'll have no assurance of your life. That refers to one who has to buy bread every day. He constantly has to worry about it. Reb Chaim Shmulevitz pointed out that a person creates his own mental torture by his own thoughts. If we have food for today, appreciate what we have. We'll have a happy life. But if we worry about the future, so then we can never have peace of mind. Reb Simcha of Kelm had such mastery over his thoughts that at certain times at the end of the day, he would mentally review the thoughts of the entire day to see what she could improve on. The Chavetz Chaim used to say, everyone has something to worry about. It's preferable for a person to worry about spiritual matters, ruchnius, then he will be free from worrying about material matters. Bitochon, if a person has trust in Hashem, it eliminates worry. If we remember how Hashem has helped us in the past, we'll find it easier to trust in Hashem for the present. Moshe Rabbeinu kept telling Bnei Yisrael, Hasher Remember, Hashem helped you in Mitzrayim. He will help you again. That is what we constantly have to remember, that Hashem is sim lev. He cares about each and every one of us. The old axiom goes, Today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. So, <laughs> getting back to the seriousness, how how yeah. does the process happen? So, what happens is the uh, the studio uh, the studios all submit pictures to academy members for their consideration, and you'll start seeing these big ads in the papers, especially in the in the trade publications such as you know Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. Online, and Deadline Hollywood, all the the big the main venues, and they're trying to, and then they have all these free screenings, which they try to get people to come to. They want people to see them on the big screen. And just to cover their bases, they also send uh, screeners, screeners uh, DVDs, to all the Academy members. And what they really want is they want uh, the members of the Academy to vote for them so that they get the Oscar. And the way it breaks down, the membership of the Academy is divided along uh, the, the category of work that you do. The largest category by far is, uh, is performers, right. actors. But you also have a category for directors and screenwriters, and then you have uh, editors and, and, and so forth, and that goes all the way down. And when it comes to voting on a particular uh, category, only the members of the category vote for that, so that you're not going to have actors voting on sound editing, oh, unless that's something you do on the side. Right. Um, so everybody only votes within their category except for one award, and that's Best Film, the final award, the, the Grand Poobah. Anybody? Every single... Every single Academy member who votes can, can votes on that one as well. So then uh, if there's an actor who is also, let's say, a director, how sure. do, can they vote in two different categories? Do they have to choose a category? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, Interesting. But I, I could find out, but I don't know that off the top of <laughs> my head. Because there are some, uh, you know, that, that we know are listed as directors of producers and wondering sure. how that works. But, uh, so I, I, I don't know. Everyone gets to vote for... Is it a two-vote process? They first vote for the nominations to begin with, and then once the nominations are in, they vote for the actual movies? I'm not sure if it's a two-step process or if it's just one, and okay. then they, they bring it down to you know the top seven or eight films, and then from there they like they know all from the beginning, or if it's 
just to get a nomination. That's one that's one big voting round, and then they do another voting round within those. I'm not sure. Okay. Again, I'm not so, an Academy member. Right. So yes. then it, it explain to me, if you can, from what you've seen and what you've read and, and heard about this, because this topic of diversity, it's not new right now. It's become big because uh, there, there was a category that just didn't seem to be included in the nominations. But uh, if everybody gets a chance to vote on it, and everybody should ideally see these movies, and they're voting on what they feel is the best, how is it anybody's fault, if you will? Is, is something being done in the process that doesn't allow for these movies to, or you know, the people or the category to get elected, or to get nominated? That's well, a great question, and you know, diversity is a is a huge, huge topic right now. The spotlight is all over this, and it's funny; it bleeds over into television now. Sure. Pilot season, you're seeing that the, the studios and networks are so hyper aware about diversity, is that they are going they are in overdrive casting as many diverse as possible, especially okay. African-Americans, some Latinos, Asians, um, and, and so forth. Uh, but when it comes to the, the films that were nominated, you know, there's, a, there's a several reasons. For off the top of my head, the two major films that, that I think were really, really were kind of shut out unfairly, at least from the films that are nominated, mm-hmm. I don't know about winning, but definitely for nominations, uh, were uh, Beasts of No Nation, starring Idris Elba, who is phenomenal and the second one uh, was straight out of compton which i thought was going to be one thing but enough of my smart friends said no this is an amazing film you need to hmm. see this and so i did and i was just blown away uh, just incredible film uh and my my gut on the first one is that the platform on which it was released mostly was i believe netflix okay. and for many people there's a you know it's a streaming Right. Platform, and for many people, they watch it on their television, and it could be a, a tiny television. Maybe they're watching it on their phone. Maybe sure. they're watching it on their large screen at home. But they're not walking to a movie theater and watching it there, or driving to a movie theater here, here in <laughs> LA. Nobody walks here. <laughs> right. It's dangerous. Uh, they stop you if you're walking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so people might have been confused and saying, "Oh, I think it's more of a TV movie." Interesting. Uh, and I don't know if that's the reason. I don't right. know if Idris Elba is enough of a star here he should be he mm-hmm. uh, they've seen him enough times and he's such a phenomenal actor and what he did in that movie was just breathtaking um, but uh i i'm not sure why that happened and as far as straight out of compton is concerned uh i just don't know if it had the star power or the the artwork or whatever it is to really draw people in and actually make them watch it and here's why i think uh, this was addressed on some some talk show. I, well, they were talking about this, and right. so this is not my my brilliant insight here. This is uh, something that I heard that I truly believe is true, sure. is that when you receive these stacks and stacks of DVDs, and I'm not a member of the Academy, as I right. said, but I am a member of, of SAG-AFTRA, and mm-hmm. I've been on the nominating committee, so we receive our own stacks of screeners that are not nearly as expansive as the ones that Academy members receive. And when your time is limited, assuming you have a career or life, <laughs> right. or, or, or as I, in my case, a one-year-old in a house, you may not have the time or the opportunity to see all the films. And a lot of Academy members are freely admitting that they have not seen all the films on which they're voting. And so when you have to vote on best film and you don't know, uh, you know, you see straight out of Compton, but you don't see anyone that looks, it doesn't speak to you. Maybe you're not from Compton. You know, but you don't know much about that. And you're like, oh, is this going to be a gangster movie or something? Right. It's way more than that. Then maybe it's not at the top of your viewing list. Um, 
same thing for Beasts of No Nation. Oh, this is going to be a violent film that's going to make me feel bad about. Sure. Oh, how difficult the situation is in, in an African country and just a lot of killing. I don't know if that's the first thing I want to see when I can watch. Right, right. Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. When I can watch, uh, you know, you know, Claire Danes. Uh, not Claire, not Claire Danes. Uh, you know, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Brie Larson. You know. They're Interesting. All amazing actors. So even people within the industry I- itself uh, are making the choices as to what they can actually see, what the time they have to see it. Sure. Which definitely would affect them. It makes sense. It affects their ability to cast a vote. So if if we and let's talk about SAG after for a second, because you have sure. they're the SAG Awards, which are yes. you know the own you is pretty similar. It's a certainly a set of it's an award program um, that is voted upon by the nominations are voted upon by members of um, the uh, the SAG members, which there are thousands and thousands of SAG members. Um, SAG after we yeah, well SAG after yeah it's combined yeah. now uh, over the last number of years. <laughs> Excuse me, and there's also the uh, there's the Golden Globe Awards, which is Hollywood Foreign Press. That's, again, a whole other discussion. You have 93 people voting on, on that for yeah. that whole thing. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so so even in within SAG-AFTRA type, is it is it similar? I know you're part of the union and you've been heavily involved in the union, so I don't want you to say anything that's going to get you in trouble. But nah, I'm it, not going to get you in it, trouble at all. Is it pretty similar? Because you do have an overlap of the same people uh, looking and voting on this. Sure. Uh, generally speaking, the SAG Awards, and as you know, the SAG Awards are only because they're, you know, presented by the Union of Professional Performers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the SAG Awards are only for performance. Right. Uh, so you're not going to see sound editing and and uh, and uh, all the you know all those all those other categories which are important. They're just not really relevant to SAG AFTRA. What exactly. our members do. Um, and so, because the largest category of Ampus, the, 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 the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, mm-hmm. is performers, actors, and we are the union of actors, of professional screen actors. Uh, generally speaking, if you look at the past number of years, the SAG Awards have been consistently the most precise indicator of how the Academy Awards are going to vote, at least for the acting categories across the board. This year, it's not going to be like that. I, you know, right. the SAG Awards were, that already took place a yes. couple weeks ago. Yes. Um, Heavily, heavily dominated. Uh, the ethnic actors, uh, heavily dominated, uh, particularly uh, African American actors. And as you know, as everyone knows, uh, no African American actors were were nominated this year for any of the top four acting awards for for the right. Oscars. Exactly. So and that's got a lot of people upset. Of course, but the way you're explaining it, it doesn't seem like it is something that people are are necessarily purposely doing. Uh, it it may have to do more with just what somebody has to has seen and what movies have been out there during the course of the year. Do you, do you think that um, that people actually think, okay, I'm about to write my X number of choices on my ballot to return. I want to make sure my choices are diverse. It doesn't seem like most people would do that. They would think about what's the best overall choice and what's my vote. I think that's probably more accurate. It's hard to tell because you have such a wide body and you're going to have a, a multitude of, of perspectives and feelings about the, this this subject. Right. But, you know, if, if I have, if I've, if I'm theoretically looking at five candidates for an award, for an acting award, and I see Meryl Streep, and let's say I haven't seen any of these five movies. Right. And I see Meryl Streep, 
and I see another name that looks kind of familiar, and I see mm-hmm. three other names I don't recognize or that are not as recognizable, right. and I'm called upon to vote, you know, the most ethical thing might be to just abstain, right? Right. It, right. But I, I don't know if that's what people want to do. Well, maybe I love Meryl Streep. I, I, I do love Meryl Streep. Right. But you don't I know... I say, you know what? She's so amazing. She's brilliant. She's always brilliant. Why don't I just vote for her? Because you're assuming she's... Vote for Meryl Streep. Right. You're assuming she's done a great job in that movie, but, you know, as you know, and it's... As audience uh, members know, sometimes even the greatest actors, you know, sometimes have a movie that that's not so great. And yeah, if you go by name only, name recognition is really not the way of doing to do it. Uh, Asaf Cohen is yeah. my uh, guest this morning, uh, actor of uh, film and uh, television and theater. Uh, we're talking about the uh, Oscars. Are you going to be there tonight? Are you going to it? At the actual Oscars? Yeah. No, I am no. not. Okay. I'm actually filming. Something oh, very nice. At the time. Very nice. I want to touch upon your your work also in a in a minute or two. Uh, so, do you think though that it's right, in your opinion, that there are people calling for protests against tonight and to tune out to the Oscars tonight, or is it just that this has become a, a topic that certain groups have picked up on, uh, and it, and it's real, and they don't necessarily really understand. What's going on in the process? And again, maybe the process needs to be changed a bit. And I understand that the Academy is implementing certain things. But do you think it's right to call for protests and things like this tonight? Well, it's anyone's right to protest and to to speak freely about what's on their mind. And if they're upset, uh, far be it from me or anyone to say, no, that's not appropriate for you to do that. Anybody is free to do that. Do I feel like that's effective? Uh, yes and no. I think it, it helps in bringing attention to the topic. Is it the most constructive way to go forward? I don't know if it's the most constructive way to go forward, but it sure is bringing attention to the topic. Right, that's true. Uh, and I, I actually t- I tip my hat, actually, to particularly the African-American community mm-hmm. uh, for really, really uh, bringing this up. You know, we talk about diversity, and, uh, and they really, uh, as a community, they've really gotten their act together and said, you know what? We're not going to accept this anymore. This is this is not okay. And we talk about diversity. As far as I'm concerned, that's wonderful. And you know, I, I do want to see, you know, what we call the American scene. Yes. You know, the spectrum of of diversity that we see in the American scene fairly represented and also fairly honored up on the big screen. Uh, I don't think there's an intentional effort to exclude. Uh, any groups, including African Americans. If you look back two years ago, there were, there were plenty of African American um, nominees. Yes. Uh, they, they won Oscars in the past, and and you know when I, I think about Denzel and I think about Halle and I, you know and sure they get not Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, I don't think there's an effort to exclude, not in, not an intentional one, but I do think that the the market for film really does tend to favor Caucasians, and when it comes to selling films abroad, we know that in other markets. They really do want to see Caucasians hmm. as the stars of the film. It helps them market their films. Interesting. We know that this takes place in, in, in Asia, for instance. Right. Well, different parts of the world, for sure, and there's a big difference. I'm, I'm curious, sure. are people who are uh, looked on as Middle Eastern, uh, such mm-hmm. as yourself, is, is that considered a – is there a diversity issue? Are, are you considered part of a separate group or, or not? We're not, and that's uh, that's uh, disconcerting and troubling at times because there are many times that they're, they get a mandate to, to really cast ethnic in this role, and they already have clear categories spelled, you know, align, uh, set out for African Americans, right. Latino Americans, Asian Americans, Pacific 
Islanders, uh, LGBT, mm-hmm. and how it's difficult to always tell if someone is LGBT just by visual, right. uh, yes. and people with disabilities. But for Middle Eastern people, they, uh, the word from up high is that you are considered Caucasian, hmm. which is kind of crazy. Uh, and, you know, maybe if you go, if you look at the anthropological background or you, you trace the evolutionary route and maybe there's a, a case to be said for that, but, but that misses the, the point of trying to, right. to include a segment of the population. There are millions of Middle Eastern people. Of course. I'm not talking from, from Egypt, Morocco to Iran and Iraq right. and Israel and, and, and Jordan. All these people are considered white, which is fascinating and yet you have people with a very similar skin tone from let's say mexico or latin america and yet they are considered diverse and that's something that just seems like there's uh that's just not necessarily fair right absolutely and if, it, if you're going to start making group carve outs for specific groups then then it's got to be everyone or no one as far as i'm concerned right especially since it, this is a, I mean, by definition, it's a visual medium, so you can't exactly. cast somebody of a certain, you know, type. I'm trying to, you know, use a, a specific term, but if a certain type that's just not that, you can see it. You, you can call it, like you said, whatever you want, but you just don't see it. Uh, for some reason, they're very good about having a carve out for uh, for East India, for you know, for uh, actors from India, hmm. and that's fine, and they see that as a separate ethnic category, but not the larger Middle East. Right. And that's just, it's, it's bizarre and fascinating. And so I know my representatives have been told in the past that we'd love to bring in a South for this role, right. but it needs to be ethnic and Middle Eastern, we've been told, huh. is Caucasian. Wow. <laughs> it just makes you shake your head and go, that's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've certainly shed a lot of light on the, what goes on behind the scenes, the process in, uh, in tonight's show and the, uh, the other... Uh, Award shows, I think, would would pretty much be the same or similar. And the diversity issue, uh, I I think most people aren't aware of it. I wasn't aware of a lot of this until I looked into it and now discussing this with you. You know, certainly the the idea of movie making and all that, that's a whole other thing, you know, how they're made. But to even get to that step is so much involved and there's there's so much thought, of course. But uh, it's, uh, it's disconcerting to a certain extent based on what you're saying. And I imagine that the different organizations are going to be looking to the future to see what to do about it. Well, it's not all bad news. Uh, no, you know, of course movies not. Are, movies are wonderful things, oh, yeah. and there's so much pleasure to be derived just from popcorn flicks, you know, like <laughs> right. Transformers, and and all the specialty, beautiful, uh, you know, Sundancey type films that get tend to get released in November, December for that really want to be uh, considered for for the acting awards uh, at Oscars. And there's right. amazing artistic work being done out there. And, but for the most of the films, except for those tiny films, these are there are large financial considerations. Of course. And you know the the producer of uh, I believe Gods of Egypt, which I hear is uh, tanking terribly at, at the box office. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no not a single Middle Eastern person in the in the, among right. the lead roles. They're I, all Caucasian, yeah. and this is the whole controversy. Uh, I don't know how much that factored into it, but he said, "Look, I can't sell this film." With Mohammed so and so as a lead role, right? So I'll put these famous white actors in there. And I guess you could have done it. Come on, you could have easily fit into that role. Yeah, I could have. Let's go back in time. Let's go back <laughs> yeah. in time. Point out, hey, if you want to no. make money? Yeah. Now there's plenty of wonderful actors from all across the Middle East. Right. Very successful. Right. Well, We're I, doing you know, amazing work. Excuse my ignorance of this, but I, I was just in a movie the other day, uh, last Sunday, and uh, we saw previews, and we saw previews for the one you just mentioned. And we saw previews for um, 
uh, what is it called? London da- London Down, I think. Uh, London is falling. L- London yeah. is falling. Right. I'm sorry. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The lead actor is the same in both movies. Oh, is that uh, Gerard Butler? Yeah. <laughs> Who's a wonderful actor? Yeah. Really, right? Wonderful, Absolutely. Wonderful. I him in 300. Uh, of course. Uh, look, and I don't, I don't ever fault any actor for accepting a role that's being offered. To no, of, of course you not. Know, if, you're, if, you, if you're an actor, you're creative. You want to believe that you have a, a full range of, of roles. Of within, course. Especially if you come from a theater background. Right. Somebody offered him this role to play an Egyptian god, or I, I haven't seen the film, so right. I, don't I, don't, I don't know. I don't, what I don't it fault is. him. Right. I don't fault him for accepting that. Right. I I think we need to look at the other considerations. Right. Well, that's for sure. I was just making the point that it's, it's ironic that the two films that are totally different in in areas of uh, you know the idea of where they're taking place in areas of the sure. world in in time in uh, in in ethnicity uh, and and it's the same person. Uh, yes, of course, a, a good actor like yourself, you know, great actor like yourself, I should say. Can go into the role. My, my my salary quote is a bit lower than George well, Butler's. I don't know. Any listeners out there? Well, you know, got to push that. But uh, but that's why I always call you uh, when when I see like on NCIS because you know what is it called? The the residuals have to go in there, right? <laughs> sure thing. We love our residuals. Sure. <laughs> but but uh, but uh, seriously, regarding the, the two, when you do have uh, the same actor, of course, a great actor should be able to do. To do the role and do the role convincingly, no matter sure. what he or she is put into. But it's just interesting to see this type of thing, and when we're discussing this diversity issue of who's actually there. Um, so tell us. They, they really uh, want these. They want bankable actors. Uh, they really want their their leads. And uh, for me, I, I just want to start seeing them expand the number of bankable actors right. that are of Middle Eastern descent. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's and that's there the there's point. some. Inc- Incredible actors doing amazing work, right. uh, and it'd be nice to see them getting promoted. Absolutely, Egyptian actors even. Sure, <laughs> would have been magnificent. <laughs> so, uh, so what is uh, what is ahead with you? I know you're always doing auditions and getting roles. Uh, anything particularly you want to mention or can mention, or still, uh, you know? Well, we're in the middle jobs. of pilot season right here. In 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 as you know, mm-hmm. uh, pilot season are you, uh, in the television market is when. The networks and they start. Uh, they have all these the, the, the first episodes, potential series, right. and uh, and most actors really want to get on a pilot. And so when it gets picked up to series, most of them do not. But if it gets picked up to series, you are the star, a one of the stars of a TV show, right. and that is a, a really really sweet gig to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so we try. To, you, most actors try to keep their schedules kind of open at this time, Good. so that you don't have any conflicts. Right. So the the stuff that I'm accept, accepting right now is very short term. I'm working on a, a couple of web series, shooting one tomorrow called The Glimpses of Greg, nice. working with uh, Christine Woods, who was on um, The Walking Dead recently, and she was uh, she just got her own pilot just announced about a week ago, um, and then uh, I worked on an Amazon uh, show called Borderline, which is a, like a comedy spoof of the the, the drug world and. It, Pretty funny. It's up it's on Amazon. Wow. That sounds like uh, something good there. Yeah, um, but for the most part, really trying to keep my schedule open and just good. focusing, trying to get uh, trying to get a pilot like every actor sure. in L.A. And, sure. and, and in New York, I would guess as well. Right. Well, you're very experienced. I mean, I have no doubt that you're going to get whatever you want. You also do uh, some audio books, and we'll we'll hit that as the last uh, thing. Um, sure. Which again, when I spoke to you, you know, we 
texted back and forth. You told me about that whole world of audiobooks to which you lend your uh, voice. Um, you did one called No Mission is Impossible, which chronicles right. the 30 boldest missions of the Israeli Special Forces uh, since Israel began as a country, modern Israel. Now, that was it's in English, uh, the one that you do. Uh, and the, the book originally by uh, Bar Zohar and Michal was in Hebrew, I believe, and you're mm-hmm. doing obviously the English version of it. Uh, do you enjoy that, uh, uh, be bringing um, the words to life like that? I do tremendously. You know, doing a do, narrating an audio book is it, it's it's actually a it's like running a marathon. It's a voiceover marathon because mm-hmm. some of these books, the, the total recorded time will be about. You know, 10 hours, maybe one of the books I did was 20 hours. Wow. And for each hour that is that you're listening to, you know, usually it's at least two hours or maybe sometimes even three, depending on how efficiently you're working, that you spend to make that hour because there'll be mistakes, you have to take breaks, right. you have to redo things. Um, but I learn a lot, and sometimes I, I, I get to narrate books that I may not have had the time or uh, sometimes an inclination to read. This was a particularly interesting story to me. I know sure. one of these... Sometimes I'd call my parents and say, hey, this, this name here, how do I pronounce it? Uh-huh. You know, when I speak to my father, he says, I grew up with him in my uh. kibbutz. Wow. We went, we went into Tzahal at the same time. I'm like, oh, my God, I am reading about people who my... And my dad said, who else did it mention this guy? And I'm like, yeah. He says, I know him, too. <laughs> oh, no. And so this is very personal to me, and I'm learning things about, you know, my family's history, uh, especially the titles that tie into to, uh, to Israel. You know, sure. my... my uh, the, the latest book I just did was called uh, Killing a King, which oh. is about the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin right. and, uh, and, his assassin, and his assassin, Yigal Amil, mm-hmm. and how that happened, how it got to that point, and, and the aftermath, of course. Uh, wow. And that was... Uh, That's a tough one. Well. That's definitely a that tough one. That was a tough one. Uh, you know, politically charged, of course. But uh, I thought I knew quite a bit, but uh, I learned a lot from that title, um, historically, Things that just there are pockets of conversations about, you know, Yasser Arafat after Rabin was assassinated, coming over to, you know, to Leah's home, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just to pay his personal condolences. And I, I didn't know that. Right, um, right. It was certainly know. an interesting time for sure. Very interesting wow. time. Uh, so I, I, I love it because I learn things. I get to experience books, and it's a. I feel like it's quite a responsibility. You know, I, I'm taking the author's words and. It's just me talking for hours and hours, and I, I try to do it justice, and sometimes I feel like I, I did a bang-up job, and sometimes I feel, oh, I wish I could do read that part again. Yeah, but you have the voice for it, so that's good. I mean, not every actor has that type of voice. <laughs> you could be a good, you're a good actor, great actor, as I said before, uh, and you have that voice that can lend itself to somebody listening to this, so... That's extremely important. Asaf Cohen, I want to thank you so much for joining me this morning. I know we went a little long. I apologize. Um, but uh, you're out there in California, so you know you can rest for a little bit longer this morning and, uh, <laughs> and be there. And I want, to, I want to thank you so much. I hope to have you on again, and I appreciate it. And good luck with everything that you do. Thank you so much, Matis. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Enjoy the Oscars. Thank you. Thank you. I was uh, Asaf Cohen here on JM. Sunday, my thanks to him. Uh, we really did a nice uh, long interview, talked a lot about what's going on out there and his work. And again, as I just said, I hope to have him on again at some time in the future. Uh, the way it looks uh, now, well, we're going to have the news from Israel in a few seconds with uh, Hannah Julian.
I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get to Gary Scher, who's uh, in Israel now with a uh, group of legislators from New Jersey. Uh, he informed me that he is on a bus right now and uh, not sure when the bus is going to stop. So we'll see if we have time to uh, to have that uh, discussion after the news from Israel uh, before my next guest at 8.30, who will be Miriam Peretz, uh, author of the book Miriam's Song, telling about her life. And, uh, you know, revolving, of course, around the loss of two of her children in the army and uh, and her husband around the same time. So it's a very uh, interesting but difficult story, obviously. We'll talk to her at 8.30. Right now uh, is, the, let's see, on this 28th of February, uh, 2016, 19th day in the month of Adar Rishon, where it is nice outside here. 39 degrees, yeah, it's nice compared to, you know, like 12. Uh, and uh, going up to a high of 59 degrees and sunny. But uh, I, hear, I hear kind of laughing in the background. She'll tell us what the weather is in Jerusalem in a few minutes. But at this time uh, on Sunday morning, it's time for our news from Israel. Kind of Julian, Middle East news analyst and senior correspondent at JewishPress.com, joins us every Sunday morning to bring us up to date on the latest happenings in the state of Israel. Good morning, Kana Julian. Good morning, Marcus. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu opened the cabinet meeting today with the hope that the ceasefire in Syria would be successful. They've tried a few times before. This time he's hoping that they'll actually make it. But, but, the Prime Minister also emphasized that any agreement in Syria has to include a stop to Iranian aggression towards Israel from Syrian territory. Netanyahu said Israel will not agree to Iran giving advanced weapons to Hezbollah terrorists in Syria and in Lebanon. He also expressed deep concern about the creation of a second terrorist front on the Golan Heights. In fact, he said the state of Israel has set both of those issues as red lines. A 44-year-old homeless man diagnosed with AIDS was roaming the streets of Arad, that's much further to the south, he has now been hospitalized at Soroka Hospital in Beersheba with pneumonia, but there's a question about his medical coverage. He entered Israel in 2007 after leaving Sudan, that's according to the Haaretz newspaper, and he was diagnosed as an AIDS carrier in 2012. Since then, he's been on medication given to him by various humanitarian groups, including one from Israel's own health ministry. Uh, since 2012, he has not been able to work has no means of support, and because he's technically an asylum seeker, he doesn't meet criteria for private insurance. He also doesn't meet criteria for national health care. But, and in most societies, at this point, this person would be out on the street. Look what Israel is doing instead. Soroka and various government offices that were interviewed by Haaretz all said that this gentleman will not be released from the hospital until some solution is found for him. The law does not permit him to have health insurance from the ministry, but it is, quote, helping the social affairs ministry find a suitable solution for him, unquote. That is what Israel does when such a case has come across the desk. Two Israelis were charged on Sunday with stealing ancient manuscripts and books. They, those items are worth a total of 
93,000 shekels in dollars. That is $23,000 and $700 on top of that. Taxes, etc. you know how that goes. They were taken from the Beit Ariella Library in Tel Aviv. And the biggest news of the day, this is this really is very important, the Mali Adumim terrorist was arrested over the weekend, Saadi Ali Abu Hamed, uh, 20 years old, from the village of Azaria, was the terrorist who carried out the attack at the mall in Mali Adumim early Friday morning. They did catch him. He was arrested by the Israeli security forces, Shabak, together with police. During his interrogation, Hamed connected himself to the attack. The mall's security guard, Tzvika uh, Cohen, who was really badly hurt, remains in critical condition. Now, uh, I have a really important story. Matis, this yes. is especially for you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> there there are some Yusufin, there are some settlements in the uh, Benjamin region and in the uh, in the Samaria region, right around the Dolev area between Modi'in and Yerushalayim, that are in desperate need of lion poop. <laughs> and they have applied <laughs> to, really, seriously, I am, honestly, I really, I am not kidding. This is a story that I actually heard from, from a source that is absolutely rock-solid certain. I am not kidding, and not only have they applied to, there's only two zoos in Israel that actually have lions who can provide this very important resource, but it's on back order. It is on back order. Okay. Why? <laughs> because it's not one settlement, it's a whole bunch of them. Why? Because, because they are being stalked by wild boars. You know what a boar is? A boar is a wild pig. Of course. (laughs) Jewish settlements are being stalked by wild pigs in the wilderness out there where they're settling. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And this is only for Adar. Really, seriously, I cannot believe it. But really, it's true. And therefore, the only thing that these real vicious animals are afraid of is lions. But uh, obviously you can't you can't raise lions. You're telling me you're you're telling me that you can't <laughs> this this can't be synthesized? <laughs> Seriously, you can't they'll only believe the real thing. You can't fool a pig. Wow. Clearly you cannot. My as you know you my as you know my Hebrew my Hebrew <laughs> is especially conversational Hebrew is like non existent. The only thing I could say is Echomrim lion poop ivrit. So I think you would say what it would be. I I I don't know if we're allowed to say it would be cocky arye, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> so there's a shortage. I just I was afraid to ask what it was in Hebrew. I didn't uh, dare. Oh, man. <laughs> and with that, let's go to the weather. <laughs> let's go to the weather. The weather is warm right. with a warm with a distinct odor of. <laughs> Lion poop. Oh, indeed. It's going to be absolutely <sighs> fragrant this oh, yes. week. Oh. 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 <laughs> wow. It is all the flowers are going to be blooming because of the fertilizer. Uh, I'm sure out you will. Out there in, 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 in the Indian region and out there in Samaria. Well, that, the that, hills are going to be 
blooming. This 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 conversation <laughs> this conversation is uh this this connection is slowly breaking down. Better get to the weather. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sunshine. There's going to be sunshine plenty of it. Really there is. Today it's beautiful outside, it really is. Uh the high is almost seventy. Sixty seven to seventy in Jerusalem and of course in in the uh in the Tel Aviv area it's higher. Tonight partly cloudy, low around fifty five. Sunny days all the way at least through Wednesday and then just a few clouds here and there to Friday. All the way through the week. Mid seventies, up to seventy six on Wednesday. Whoa. Spring fever is starting to hit. Oh yeah. Just in time for Pesach cleaning. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone. I'm Hannah Julian for Jam Sunday. Oh man, thank you so much. That's our news from Israel. Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> we'll see you next week right here on JM Sunday exclusively on the Nachum Siegel Network. I was about to post this. Where else in the world can you, well, I, maybe in Israel, but where else outside of Israel can you hear about the shortage of lion poop unless you listen to JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network? You can't beat that. That is for sure. It's 8.10 in the morning uh, here on JM Sunday, and uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get to Gary share. It looks like he is still traveling. He is part of a group of um, legislators who are from New Jersey, going who are in Israel right now. They arrived, I believe, on Friday. They're traveling around to different places and uh, learning about the um, learning about the state. Uh, I, I'm not sure how many have never been there, and this is their first trip. But I believe uh, a number of them. They're both um, Democrats and Republicans across the board, different counties in New Jersey. Uh, but Gary is traveling right now, so if we can get to him before uh, the end of the show and uh, and get him in, then we certainly will. Uh, we're going to go to some music now, and then at 8.30 I'll be joined by Miriam Peretz, who is the author of Miriam's Song, uh, recently translated into English. Uh, Miriam will be in the area for a book tour in the coming weeks, and we'll talk about her story. So that's coming up at 8.30 uh, right here on JM Sunday. My thanks to everyone for listening this morning. Thanks for joining us. We are exclusive to the Nahum Siegel Network.
That was music by uh, David Schlusselberg here on uh, JM Sunday. Matis Weingast with you. And uh, we are trying to make the connection to Israel. I think there is a bit of a, um, a feedback that I'm hearing. So I'm going to uh, hang up and then call right back to Miriam. And I'm going to put uh, a little bit of music on so we can get this, that this set up. And then we'll be right back. Miriam? Okay, I think we have uh, the connection better now. It's 8.33 in the morning. Matas Weingast here with you on JM Sunday on the Nachum Siegel Network. And uh, my next guest is uh, Miriam Peretz, who has an incredible story. And uh, it is part of the book, which is now in English, called Miriam's Song, uh, which was uh, authored by Smadar Shir in Hebrew a number of years ago and then translated uh, today, uh, recently in, uh, into English. Uh, the story is, is, well, we'll get right into it. Miriam Peretz, welcome and shalom and welcome to JM Sunday. Shalom, shalom. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, I, I read the, I read your story in the book. It is certainly, uh, what do I say? It is, it is tragic. It is heart wrenching. <laughs> But there is also, I have to say, at the beginning, a uh, tremendous feeling of uh, inspiration that you give to to people who uh, hear what you write about, and it's amazing. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you made okay. Aliyah from Morocco. Was it with your parents? Was it the whole family? or What took place then? Yes. Uh, unlike my sons, Uriel and Eliraz, you know, that fallen in uh, the battlefield in Israel, yes. I was not lucky enough to have been born in Israel. Uh-huh. I was born in Morocco, 1954. But in 1964, in the dead of night, the Jewish agency gathered us from the alleys of the Jewish ghetto 
and transported us to the place whose name we only dared to whisper, Yerushalayim. Wow. My parents are very, very poor, poor people. They live in Sahara Desert. They never know to read and to write, nothing. But they know one word in Hebrew, Jerusalem. They never saw the picture of Jerusalem. And I never imagined that I will pay so much for this Jerusalem. Wow. And we come to Israel in 1964. I uh, learned at school, and after that I was 24 years a principal of school in Israel. And now I am a supervisor in education office. Wow, beautiful. I have six children and ten grandchildren. Ah. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Baruch Hashem is absolutely right. So your family, um, your parents' family, probably uh, were in Morocco for generations. The, the history, the family was there for many, many uh, years, I imagine. Yes, yes, mm. yes. And they hear, you know, from father to grandfather and another about this Jerusalem. But they, uh, we come to Israel, we make Aliyah only in 1964. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. all the family, all the family lives in uh, Morocco all these years. Sure. And we didn't know nothing about Eretz Israel. But they heard from the grandfather about Eretz Israel. You know, Eretz Israel is the paradise of the Jewish nation. Yes, sure. And and Yerushalayim is what we all look to when we say Lashana Hababi Yerushalayim every year at the yes. Seder and you know in Tfilah and everything. But of course. But you know, but, but no, to be in Jerusalem now, it's not easy. Oh, I'm sure. It's not easy to live here in Eretz Israel. You must pay so much. For this existence. Yes. And you... Thank so much for this Jerusalem. Until today. Yes. Until these days. And your family, you and your family have paid tremendously, unfortunately, in a way that is not uh, what you would want to to pay. And you write in your book, yes. uh, you know, about the uh, what what happened with the, your two boys, uh, with Uriel yes. and Eliraz, and, and also with, yes. with your husband, with Eliezer. Can, can yeah. you tell us, you know, there are, I, I don't want to make this, uh, how do I say, uh, you know, m- make it minor, but uh, unfortunately, many people do go through this, but you have yeah. approached this differently. The book that was written a few years back, which became a yeah. bestseller, uh, I'm sure that's not why you wanted to write a book, but it certainly became something uh, and now with in English, why is the book important to you as a uh, as a, as a project? Uh, you know that my second son Eliraz, my firstborn Uriel, uh, fallen in Lebanon in eighteen eighteen eight in nineteen eighteen eight nineteen ninety eight I believe right nineteen ninety eight yes. yes and uh, my second son Eliraz fallen before six years yes in gaza uriel in lebanon fighting terrorists in lebanon eliraz fighting terrorists in gaza and it was before passover eliraz it was before passover 
and Eliraz is a father of four little children. Mm-hmm. The biggest, oh Hadash, a new light, is, was six years old. And the little, Gili Bat Ami, was two months old. She didn't know her father. Mm-hmm. And in Passover, we had a big mitzvah. Vehigadeta. You must tell your children about this nation. You must tell they, tell them from where we come to this land. And there is no father. My son Elira's killed. So who will tell my grandchildren, the children of my son Elira's, this story? Who will tell them the story of our family from the dream in Sahara Desert until the fallen of Eliraz. I am here for them, and I wrote this book only for my grandchildren. Mm. But I didn't, I never imagined that it will be so famous. And this story, in Hebrew we call it Shirat Miriam, Miriam's song, but it is not the song of Miriam from the Bible, where there was a miracle, where where she praises God for the sea parting. My song is different. That's right. This is the song of a person who is drowning in the sea of sorrow and pain, but yet continue to thank God. And this is my story. This is the story of thanks God. Even I bury my two children and also my husband passed away of a broken heart after my firstborn Uriel killed in Lebanon. As a, a parent, you write about all of this, of course, and there are a number of Particularly, I mean, everything in the book is phenomenally interesting. It's very interesting, but there are certain things that you touch upon. When, when uh, Eliraz uh, passed away, you beforehand mm-hmm. you had you had many feelings about this. You know, not not just mm-hmm. worry, uh, of, not just the worry of a parent who sends their child into the army, uh, you know, and knows mm-hmm. that things can happen, but. You spoke about the feelings that you had literally the day that he died. You uh, you talk about that you hit your head accidentally on a, on a kitchen counter, if I if I read that correctly, and yes. it turned out to be the exact moment that he was killed. And you had this. Yes. What you know, I, I I it's very difficult for me to use this word, but uh, what mm-hmm. what do you feel you were given this? This gift, I, I hope I'm saying it in the right way so you understand the way I'm saying it. You were given the mm-hmm. gift of a beautiful family. Unfortunately, some were taken from you. But this gift of your, your knowledge, your inspiration, your, your outlook is, is tremendous. It is uh, difficult to, to believe. It's, uh, you know, tragedy happens sometimes to people that can handle it. How do you get through yeah. this? How do you, you know, get through this day to day even How after I all continue. these years? <laughs> yeah. How I continue from this tragedy? Yeah. So I must tell you that many times I'm asked here in Israel, in any place in the world, from where I get my strength. Yes. How do I carry on living? And I must tell you, it's 
My answer is very simple. It's my emunah, Makadosh Baruch Hu. This is the source of my strength. You know, I didn't choose uh, to deal with the question, Akadosh Baruch Hu, why me? Mm. Why me that every Friday when I light a candle, I pray Zakeni Legadel Banim Ubne Banim. Why me? The one who raised my children in your spirit of your mitzvot. Why my children? Why my husband? What I do wrong in this world? You know? Yeah. Yes. There is no answer for this question. I will never get answer to the question, why me? Akadosh Baruch Hu, Lama. Why the children of Eliraz, when I stand in Rosh Hashanah in Yom, in, uh, and Yom Kippur in the shul, and I pray, do for the little children that didn't do nothing wrong. Why a Kadosh Baruch Hu? Right. I will never have answer to this question. However, I have an answer why my children fallen. They have fallen, so today the children in Israel can go to the malls, to the schools, can go to shopping. They have fallen, so I can now speak with you. They have fallen because someone must do, must ensure the existence of this country. So what I do with this pen and sorrow? What I do? I can spend my life, you know, I can spend my life with crying over my feet. Yeah. I can also choose not to get up in the morning. But for me, this is not an option. I choose to thank God everything. I thank Akadosh Baruch Hu for what I have now, for the four little children of my son Eliraz, for the minute that I can stand, I can see, I can eat for the simple things. And I must tell you something. My love to this God is grow and grow after my second son falling. I love him so much. When they come to my home and they tell, told me that my Eliraz fallen in Gaza, you know, I stand like Aharon, Vaidom Aharon, yes. in silence. I saw the sky, and I asked Akadosh Baruch Hu, please, give me now Nechama, comfort. Give me comfort. I'm so little. I will never understand how you, you lead this world. I will never understand how you decide who will die and who will be in life. And please now, give me a little nechama. Give me force to continue. So I thank God for this minute. And every day I choose to wake up and to do something with meaning to do something with chesed, not to spend my life
with crying about my destiny. Right. To wake up, to be happy, because it is very easy to love God when your dreams become. How you love this God when he didn't do to you a miracle. How you continue to love him, even he take your two children and your husband. How can I love God when I come to Mount Herzl to see the grave of my children and I stand and I don't know which grave to hug first. Uh, uh. That of my firstborn or that of my secondborn. I speak with God. I dance with God every day. Sometimes he threw me. Sometimes he hugged me. But I know that I am in the hand of the God. Right. And I, be, I, I prefer to see the little lights on the darkness. The little lights every day. If someone hugged me, thanks God. If I have a little bread, thanks God. If I saw my grandchildren, thanks God. Uh. A little light on the darkness, like you know that Akadosh Baruch Hu created the world. Right. And when he created the world, he created the darkness. And from the darkness, or he created the light. So if we can sow every sea in every moment, of our life, the light of our life. If you have children and they call you Papa, Father, thanks God for that. Right. Uh. Because my grandchildren can't say Abba. They only send, say Abba to Akadosh Baruch Hu. Right. Uh, Miriam Peretz is, is my guest here this morning. The book in English is called Miriam's Song. Uh, it is so inspirational. It, I, I encourage everyone to go and get a copy right away and spend time to read it through. We're talking here a bit with Miriam, with you, about, the, uh, about your feeling uh, about things after the tragic loss of your two sons and your husband. But in the book, there are so many details we're not going to go into now. Because you're so inspirational in what you're saying, it's just there's no, you know, I have no words to to you know to say anything about that. I think that it's it's no coincidence that, as you said, you were a teacher for many years. You are teaching the world literally how to, you know, you really are. You are. I mean, I know you know you have to go through this day to day, and it's it's maybe makes it maybe makes it a little bit easier to be able to share things with people but you know i can only imagine you 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 go through this every single day you never forget of course uh, but still it is as you said you had a choice of of just yes. of just sitting around and and doing nothing and being able to go out there and 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 teach people how to react and you know what what it is that they what it is that you are going to share your feelings yes. with everybody. Interestingly, um, and I just also want to mention that you're going to be coming to America in a few weeks yes. on a book tour, yes. and it will be yes. under the sponsorship of the OU and Geffen, yes. <coughs> excuse me, that published your book. Um, 
And uh, I know that uh, Stuart Schnee, who is um, the person who put us together and, and a great uh, publicist, told me that uh, if people go to the OU website, OU.org, your schedule will be up there shortly and uh, people will be able to go and uh, hear you and see you. You're going to be, I know, at Yeshiva University. You're going to be at the Safra Synagogue here in uh, the New York area. Uh, but some interesting things have happened. You, uh, from what I read, you were called by Prime Minister Netanyahu to uh, join the government a bit. <laughs> what was, you know, some interesting things happen on, you know, in the in the you know craziest ways. Why was that something? And did you take him up on that? No, I know. It was uh, four months between, uh, you know, before the election in Israel. Uh-huh. He called me and asked me to join Likud. You know Likud? Yes, yeah, sure, sure. Without running in the primary. Oh, boy. <laughs> I said, thank you for thinking of me. I will think about. Okay. But I know the answer in my heart. I know that I will say no. Okay. Why? After a day, I called the, the Prime Minister Netanyahu, and I say it's a great honor for me. But from the day that my children fallen, I choose another life, a life of goodness. I meet. I prefer to continue volunteer work. This is my focus. And that is meeting with, you know, every week I meet 1,000 people in Israel, children at schools, bereaved families, soldiers, Mossad, Shabbat, everyone. I prefer this way than being in the Knesset. (laughs) (laughs) He very appreciated what I do and said, uh, and give me a chizuk in my way, and he said, uh, please continue in your way. But until now, I uh, learned with uh, Mar Netanyahu a Torah. Every two months we learn Torah. We are a little group that learn Torah every two months. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I'm very happy with the way that I chose to meet people, to give them, you know, if I can give one, only one person in the world, if I can give him hope to live, I do my job. You know, we say in Hebrew, Kol hamitzil nefesh achat Israel ki ilu hitzil olamum lo'o. It's not only Israel people. Everyone. Because this is the story of the people of Israel. And I must tell you, I'm very, very happy when I meet people and they told me how I strengthen them. And I say, how I strength? You know, I'm a simple people. I'm a simple woman in this, in this country. But they say, you give us hope. Right. I told them, choose the life. Don't let the life, don't spend your life. If a Kadosh Baruch Hu give you this moment, please 
do with this moment something good for this world. So it is my answer to to the prime minister. <laughs> but until now, we continue and he wrote he wrote something to the book. You yes. know. Yes, yes, it was uh, it was very nice that he he wrote that, um, Miriam. It, it is um, you know hearing you and hearing the inspiration and all that you've done. Uh, I, I think you would probably though agree that you would probably trade. You would, I'm sure, you would trade all of this and all that has happened for another day with your family, uh, and that should not be forgotten by people who read your story and understand your story. This is not something that you chose and decided to, to do and make this your life's uh, work, even though it's obviously you're a natural. You're naturally able to help people like this. I am sure, though, it is not your first choice. You would have, you'd rather have the family with you, and we, we totally understand that. Uh, you know, and, and Thank wish, you. Yeah. And, and you must know, they can, my choice to live, is the victory over the enemy yes. who, who killed my sons. Yes. Because what they really wanted was to break my spirit, exactly. to destroy my ability to choose, to rise, and to do. They can take everything from me except my choice to go on living. And even some. Even I am crying and hurting the death of my sons and my husband. I am not despair because no one can break the spirit of the peop the person, the people. No one. And I continue with this spirit that we called it Ruach Israel, Ruach Emuna, the the big Emuna. <laughs> Excellent, uh, Miriam. We look forward to seeing you when you come here uh, to, to to have a book tour and to speak to people. Uh, again, I want to thank you for joining me this morning. It was a great honor and a pleasure to have you join me this morning, and I really appreciate the words that you spoke and the feeling and the inspiration that you gave over to everybody. So, thank you very, very much. And I, I only want to tell you that we are before Purim. Yes. You know, in Purim we must be happy. Yes. It's mitzvah, a big mitzvah. Yeah. But it is easy to be happy in Purim. We must be happy every day. And Hazal said, "Ena shchina shoa, ela bemakom shesimcha." If you want to be near the God, you must be. Happy. So, Be'ezrat Hashem, Akadosh Baruch Hu, will save all the people in the world, only happiness. Thank um, you very much. Amen, amen. Thank you so amen. much. It is, uh, it is uh, tremendous words by Miriam Peretz. There's nothing more to say, really. We're going to just about ready to end the show. And uh, I encourage everybody, go on Amazon.com. You can get the book, uh, Miriam's Song. It is a Geffen publication and uh, as we mentioned uh, Miriam is going to be on a book tour here in the United States uh, shortly I think she's going to be here from March 10th to March 16th go to ou.org you'll be able to check out the uh, the book uh, the book tour and again I encourage everybody to get that book thank you Miriam Peretz my thanks uh, also to Asaf Cohen for joining me this morning 
on the air. Uh, we didn't get a chance to get to Gary's share, but I apologize, Gary. He's letting me know that he just got off the bus, but the show is ending for today. So we'll, we'll have him on again uh, another time to talk about the trip. Great program it continues all day long. Nachum will be on the air tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. and J.M. in the a.m. Till next time, I'll see you next Sunday right here on J.M. Sunday.